Across the country, vibrant theater companies, regional theaters, stage new works and old favorites and bring theater to life for their communities. Hello, I'm Ted Chapin, chairman of the American Theater Wing, and with us today are the artistic directors of four regional theaters. Christopher Ashley from La Jolla Playhouse, Gordon Edelstein from the Long Wharf Theater, Sarah Goranzik of the Philadelphia Theater Company, and Eric Rosen from Kansas City Repertory Theater. Welcome, one and all. Thank you. I thought I'd start by, by saying that um, every one of the companies that you run uh, was started with an artistic vision of somebody else's. So with that in mind, I thought I'd ask Sarah, when was the moment, we can all answer it, but you first, <laughs> sure. ladies first, when was the moment that you thought, I want that job? Well, I, I never had aspirations to have that job. I just wanted to be a part of that company if they would just let me direct. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, the founding artistic director uh, decided he wanted to uh, move on to something else, teaching. I think he, he had a relationship with Joe Papp at the time and just wanted to move on. And so uh, I sort of grafted myself onto to his uh, inheritor, his, um, uh, the person he sort of left the company to. And, and I just said, I will do anything to direct here, anything. Uh, and I did. I did press. I cleaned the bathrooms, and I began directing. Um, and then uh, eventually uh, the board came to me and, and asked me to become its artistic director. So, uh, and then I grew into the job over a, a long period of time and then became the producing artistic director, which is something a, a little different, where I stopped directing for the stage and began taking a kind of a, a, a more of an artistic oversight uh, business producerly kind of uh, position with the company. But that was also the moment when there was a little downturn in the company, you right? And then you know came about in, that. You came in and Ted, how you the know day. about that? No, yes. Yes. A long time ago, everything. in a galaxy far away, there, there was <laughs> financial difficulties, not of my own devising. Um, <laughs> and so we reorganized, and I ascended, if you want to call that, or mm -hmm. descended, to the role of producing artistic <laughs> director, where the, the, the model, the business model, was, was sort of me at the top with a um, uh, kind of a pyramid support staff. And, and it has been like that for quite some time. And we just brought in a managing director, um, uh, I guess, about two years ago. That's so great. So I can think lofty thoughts. How long have you been there? A long time, Gordon. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the 80s, the early 80s. Wow. Fantastic. Sarah actually yeah. hired me for one of my very first jobs in a regional theater. Well, that's oh why I'm God. saying, because the same right. with me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we co-produced Glenn Gary, Glenn Willis with Cap Rep. And, yeah, I did and it. Uh, yeah. that's how I met Gordon. Mm -hmm. And, and Gordon, you were at Long Wharf in a previous incarnation, yeah. and then and went I was away. An associate artistic director in the '90s, wow. and uh, in the, and then I went to become artistic director of Act Theater in Seattle, and then came back to Long Wharf as artistic director. So you were a known commodity to the to the Long Wharf group. I was, I was, for better or for worse, and they still hired me, <laughs> and they still hired me. Hard to believe. And Chris, you, you, uh, you sort of took over a, a theater known to certainly to the Broadway community in La Jolla. What was that? Well, I was a freelance director for about 20 years. Uh, and for some reason, La Jolla Playhouse has always been the one I wanted to run if I was going to run a theater. I applied for it the first time Des Mackinoff uh, left when I was about 28. <laughs> and now I think, well, of course they didn't hire me. I knew absolutely nothing about anything. But uh, <laughs> since then, I've always thought, well, that's the theater. It's in a place I love. It's got a really adventurous audience trained by years of really interesting theater, great spaces, and a great staff. So when it came available, I jumped. And Eric, did, did you have uh, experiences at the theater before or as a director? I had directed twice at Kansas City Rep uh, before I took uh, 
even took the first interview. So I knew what I was getting into, what the town was like a little bit. You know, I'd, I'd spent about 10 weeks there of my life and hadn't really at that time imagined uh, taking it on. It had been historically run by, uh, how shall I say uh, politely, much more senior figures than myself. <laughs> 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 and, um, I'm only the fourth artistic director in the company's 45-year history and had come from Chicago where I started a theater and ran that theater for 13 years. So I was on the, t on the transition edge of leaving a smaller theater looking for a larger place to try and see what it would be like to run an institution uh, of, of, of one of these scope or size. So it was um, unknown to me that I would end up there, but it's been a pretty happy marriage for the past 18 months. And so I assume you all inherited an artistic vision of the institution. And then did you, there's a skeptical look, I like that. Did you then want to shape it differently or did you sort of, was it a gradual process? I, How was, did that work? I was brought in with, with a mandate for change. And, uh, and brought a vision with me. And in fact, in the negotiations, uh, the idea for a city like Kansas City, which is uh, in, dead square in the middle of the country, a city of two million um, that had, we have everything that you have in a mid-sized American city. We have an opera and a ballet and a very great museum and the theater. And there was a desire to make the theater better and more relevant and, and, uh, and reach, um, uh, reach a national audience in a way that it hadn't. And so that was really exciting to me because it had never been done. It wasn't something I wasn't standing on the shoulders of giants as we were talking about earlier. Mm. I was uh, coming in with, with a plan and an idea for a city that had never seen that kind of thing before. So uh, that's, that's why I went, really. Yeah, for me it was, um, uh, it, it's, a great, uh, it's a great ballast, a great joy, and, a, and great support to stand on the shoulder of giants. Long Wharf was founded by John Jory in the middle 60s. Mm. John stayed for, I think, 18 months. Then Arvin Brown took it over and yeah. was artistic director um, and in a way was the spiritual founder of that organization. Arvin was there for you know, a couple of, two and a half decades. Uh, and then Doug Hughes ran it for four or five years and then I've taken over. So um, even though we're all four of us very different human beings, um, I think uh, uh, we all share very similar values. And um, uh, it's not hard to find the North Star. It's not hard to find true North. Um, uh, or, you know, um, and uh, Long Wharf, it, it, it's, it's adapted to the times, I hope. Certainly, I'm trying to. But um, the kind of work that Long Wharf has been um, committed to is really more or less the same <laughs> over, it has, there are some variations. I'm, I love American musicals, so we've been doing American musicals in my tenure, and there are certain kinds of new plays that I'm attracted to that Arvin or Doug might not have been attracted to. But more or less, if you look at the history of the theater, there is a, um, it's a very noble, very proud tradition, and something really very, uh, very similar about all of us. So that's, that's, a, um, that's a support system for me. I'd read somewhere that, that, that a rule of thumb of regional theaters um, is that you can do the musicals or the crowd pleasers in order to give you the right to do the experimental shows. I also read that somebody said that that's hogwash, but what? <laughs> it, it is hogwash. It is hogwash. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to keep talking, no. but I, I find that to be hogwash. I mean, my, I, um, uh, uh, Long Wharf is really based, you know, it's, it's steeped in. Uh, um, language-driven plays and actor-driven plays. Um, and um, the American musical theater tradition is one of our great contributions to world theater from the history of world theater. Um, 
I, I joke sometimes, and I think it's true, that Shakespeare would have been very happy to have written the book to Guys and Dolls. Um, there are some plays of Shakespeare's that aren't as good as the book to Guys and Dolls. And, um, uh, and so there, I, I offer that stuff with great pride. Um, they're expensive to do, very, and whilst they do sell a lot of tickets, uh, it, we still, they still don't make up for the amount of money that it costs to do them. We still need the support of individuals and foundations and, and the like. So it pleases some part of the audience, and actually there's some part of the audience that would much rather see Long Day's Journey into Night than Carousel. And, I, that's, and, and um, a substantial part of my audience so that's, that's the case for I feel the same. I feel like part of the goal is to keep the most diverse um, audience possible with the widest ranging taste. And in order to do that, you have to give them a really broad palette of different things. And that can be a huge musical, and that can be a simple play with a chair and an actor you know, speaking some great words. And unless you commit to the whole range of what theater can be, you haven't created an interesting theater. Right. I mean, I, I think that that is the trick: finding a, a, a diverse array of what you can offer them with, within a singular vision, so that uh, people experiencing the first play will not think by the fourth play, you know, why are these two things sitting within a season? You've you've strayed. And but you know, and the more I think about it, the more uh, you know, we continue producing in theater. I, I wonder: is there a unified audience who can all like all of that? And what are our reasonable expectations? Because mm -hmm. people who come see Grey Gardens are, are, are just not going to like, you know, uh, uh, the, the Edward Olby play we just did uh, at Home with the Zoo. I mean, but that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. I mean, I not, mean not always, but. <laughs> I, I, I find, um, I mean, I think our job, I don't know if we would all agree with this, that our job is the exercise of our taste. That is, we're hired by our board of trustees to, you know, of course, to program sensibly with economic responsibility, okay. but to, you know, and, and the, um, when I stray, when I make mistakes, it's when I don't, when I produce something that I don't love, mm -hmm. that I have to love everything that I produce. Right. And, if I, and if I love it, right. I can assume right. that others everyone would. Will. Yeah. Not everyone not. will, but um, we are the audience. We are that that taste. Yeah, exactly. So arbiter. I would add into that the, to communicate effectively, to to communicate the mission of the theater to your audience, to the press, to the artists, and to make sure the audience knows what they're going to come see. Because I, I do Absolutely. think that if an audience can love. Beckett and can love, uh, you know, guys and dolls. Right. As long as they know they're choosing to come see Beckett mm -hmm. and they're not tricked into seeing it. So there's transparency <laughs> going in that they mm -hmm. they know what they're. So an educated audience is a happy audience. There's, right. there's, there's like also it. a question of, of of goodness, you know, and 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 event. I mean, we we, Marcel Proust said, you know, if you can if if you can say it well, you can say anything. And so far, in my in my experience mm -hmm. in this big theater in what's supposed to be a conservative town, the first play we did was a hip hop musical called Clay. With, uh, which features a stepmother giving a performing oral sex on a boy, which is represented by a microphone in a very explicit way, <laughs> and uh, murder and, and rap music. And it was, we got letters from 70-year-olds saying it was the best thing they had ever seen, right. and then ended, you know, and then we did you know, uh, a very beautiful but kind of avant-garde production of The Glass Menagerie directed by David Cromer that should have been upsetting but was so beautiful that the purists were excited about it and young audiences were excited about it. And it, it just it teaches me that, that the... The sense of innovation, at least mm. in a place like Kansas City, because it's not a saturated market, that the, the delight can come from all sorts of different sources. And I think what's, what's great about running a theater where we're not competing with 30 other theaters uh, in the region is, um, is we can set the agenda of what I might think is delightful, but create 
a sense of event around uh, around the making of it, right. and uh, and then you know of course then puts a lot of pressure to say that I'm always going to be right in the place we do are always great, um, and that's obviously not going to always be true. But. Yeah, I think that maybe what we all share is sort of a missionary zeal mm -hmm. for the yes. work we do. We love it, and. Uh, I completely agree <laughs> that our job is in part to communicate uh, accurately with our audience what they're what what they're in for, mm -hmm. um, as best you can, as best as you can. But um, uh, um, sometimes uh, it's at least for me, and I wonder if you guys agree. Um, the joy is, is in taking <coughs> a work that you love and that you know somebody might not at first love. Mm -hmm. A Beckett play is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. This is a play that artistic directors and dramaturgs love and audiences, some, a writer that audiences sometimes have a hard time with. And to, com and to do it in such a way that is, uh, um, maintains the integrity of Beckett's great work and also really t shows the audience, hey, Beckett ain't so bad. Beckett is wonderful, uh, funny, humane, moving, and theatrical. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of the essence of an artistic director's role, it seems. I want to go back to something Eric said about competition. I mean, obviously in, in Kansas City, you, you said that you're, you're pretty much, I mean, there are other, there's opera, there's... There's there plenty of, and there are 10 producing theaters in the region. But some of the rest of you operate theaters in, in cities that have other, that have touring companies, they have other regional, how does it, how does it work within your own community, your theatrical community in the cities in, and in competition? Do you try to parse something out? Well, I, I sort of envy your position because <laughs> I'm in Philadelphia, and uh, fortunately there's a proliferation of, of theaters at all levels, although there is an absence, I think, of one major uh, $10, $15 million a, a year budgeted plus uh, thinking theater. There is not that Lord A theater in Philadelphia, but yeah. there's been a proliferation of medium-sized Lord uh, D and C theaters. Um, and that's sort of interesting. And, and then there's been a kind of like the... the, the the young companies coming up that have found that we, we've all managed to find our, our niches, but occasionally we collide. Um, and Philadelphia is still a, a fairly small population as, as urban cities go. Yeah. Um, and so uh, sometimes it feels like a fishbowl where the water is getting increasingly lower, mm -hmm. and, and yet our ambitions are getting larger yeah. um, and our need to grow. We, we just opened a new theater two years ago. Um, so what do you do about that? So uh, occasionally with, we, we come into conflict with our valued colleagues about mm -hmm. a, a play or a musical. And, you know, every other year it seems to happen. And so I wonder what it's like when you kind of can choose. <laughs> and you're you not near New York either. And so it's sort of virgin territory. You can really sure. do what you want without threat by um, sure. co-opting that market. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's always, in any community that has a theater tradition, there's going to be a sense of, um, of Collaboration and competition. We uh, there are some really wonderful theaters in Kansas City. People are real pioneers who've been the producing artistic director of a, a theater called the Unicorn Theater. Mm -hmm. Has been at it for 30 years, uh, carving out an innovative space for alternative theater in a place like Kansas City. And then I come in as the new guy. We open this new theater, and suddenly we're doing work that that the Unicorn feels is their territory, mm -hmm. and uh, we have to negotiate that. And that's. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's complicated to figure mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot of practice at, at, in, in Chicago, being reared, spending 15 years there. Um, the sense of, of how we could all fit together, how 250 theaters could operate in that in that mid-sized, big-ish, small city, um, was uh, we we got really practiced at working between 
how Steppenwolf might reach out to an about face and how about face mm -hmm. might reach out to a museum of contemporary art and how the Goodman might get involved and how another small theater might benefit. Um, Chicago seems idyllic to me. It's like you've all worked it out perfectly. <laughs> there are idyllic true? things about it, except for, the, <laughs> you know, the, the thing we, we can't tell you with Chicago people is um, no one comes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can do the best play in the world, and it's really hard to sell uh, uh, if you're is not. It, is that because it's saturated, or is it just that? There are more theaters than there are people in mm. Chicago, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that was the problem in Seattle. I ran a theater in Seattle for a number of years, and it was um, a joyful experience for me. But... Um, Seattle also has, there are more people subscribing to theaters than going to churches and synagogues. <laughs> um, and um, uh, there were three major theaters in Seattle, Seattle Rep, uh, Inamon, and Act Theater, major, and a, plus a Symphony Hall, an Opera Hall, a dance company, a baseball team, a football team, a basketball team, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. and three yeah. jazz clubs. Um, and it's a city of only 800,000. And what, uh, about three million metropolitan? Yeah, two and a half. So um, you, it was um, I, uh, the having so many great colleagues was fun. Um, having to compete with those colleagues for properties, I, I found less pleasant. Yeah. And was and it was and if there was ever any tension amongst the artistic directors in the town, who were all basically friends, it was over that, and some bruised feelings emerged. Um, and that was that seemed un, un, unfortunate, mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know how to solve. We tried to solve that problem in New Haven, where I run Long Wharf. Now it's a different. I don't really compete for the rights. James Bundy, uh, who runs Yale Rep, is a great buddy of mine, and we always talk privately when, before our own trustees know what we're thinking of. We call each other and say, well, "I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of that," you know, because there's very little. Occasionally, there's overlap, but mm -hmm. it's. Uh, but we, there's a, uh, New Haven's a city of 85,000, and greater New Haven is a quarter of a million, so it's really tough. Mm. Um, and then there's Hartford Stage, 45 minutes to the north, and now Westport Playhouse is programming year-round, and it's 30 minutes to the south, Yale Rep, um, Good Speed, and, uh, and the Schubert Booking House. So there's a lot of yeah. competition for people's time. It's not right. so much the money, although we compete sometimes for donors. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's really people's time. Mm -hmm. San Diego's kind of a perfect setup right now. It's got about a, a population base of about a million and a lot of theater energy in two major theaters. It's the Playhouse and the Old Globe. And they're right in the center of the, the main park in, in San Diego. Their, their taste is like, they really hold down the center of the taste spectrum in a great way, <laughs> which frees us up to be counterculture, actually. And I love that tension. That's great. Mm -hmm. Like that there's a there's sort of healthy competition and um, I, someone else will always do the, 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 the real center of it. Mm -hmm. So we get to, to sort of play. It's a relief. To like, yeah, it's a relief <laughs> yeah, yeah. to know that we get to play all yeah. the edges. That's How great. far are you from San Diego? Um, 15 miles. Never, never been there. I had to go see La Jolla at some point. Oh, we have really? to invite you out. <laughs> it's beautiful. One of the things that, that obviously um, is a thread through all of the, this conversation is your passion about new work. And um, again, read an interesting thing about whether regional theaters are incubators for new works on their own and where they are incubators with their fellow regional theaters, mm -hmm. and when they might be incubators for this town. So I wanted to sort of... <laughs> We've got all three this yeah, season. The answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes to everything. All, all of the above. All okay, of so, the above. So dive in. And they're all connected. I mean, uh, Gordon commissioned this play Palomino that David Kale starts previews tonight um, that we're doing the premiere of, and uh, we're co-developing a show that was commissioned by the taper 
that is commercial producers uh, to do our first out-of-town tryout, which you guys do frequently. I had to call Chris and get advice on what to do. Uh, so we're all kind of connected in that way, which is a really amazing thing about the field, that we do all sort of know each other and can get to each other and share, especially across the regions. I think especially this economic environment has made theaters cooperate, collaborate, co-commission, co-produce more than ever. Um, the last season we, we premiered, uh, we did the world premiere of a Terrence McNally play called Unusual Acts of Devotion. And then, uh, then La Jolla Playhouse did it how many months later? Nine months later or so? Like just good gestation period. And kind of overhauled it. Um, but using your set. Using our set. members of your cast. A, a member. One member. I, was it, was it my, I think so. I think it was Richard Thomas. That was it. Maybe it's only I, one. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you cleaned house. Um, <laughs> Reconceived. <laughs> Reconceived. Um, no, no, no. Uh, the changes were so Learned from great. the first step and made the second the step even richer. The changes were the all right-minded <laughs> changes. Absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Changes that that that, cr that you wanted when it was done, or, or I mean, it was kind of collaborated. Was, we we yeah, actually very, talked about. I, I called Sarah up and mm -hmm. said, "How'd it go? You know, is it does it need another step? You know, right. uh, if so, what are the issues?" And agreed about a lot of what she had to say, mm -hmm. and um, and Terrence McNally had a lot of rewrites he wanted to do. So, I think it's um, the 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 changes that are going to happen end up being a kind of collective yeah. um, decision. Part of the provenance of the play that just accumulates and, and is carried forward. Um, One of the things I, I love about trying to commit an audience to being interested in new work is trying to get them excited about success and failure <laughs> <laughs> and actually excited, adventurous enough yeah, that they right. can come to the theater and say, wow, that didn't work, but it's so interesting. <laughs> right, right. It's what, a, right. what an, a, an ambitious right. failure, and those can be exciting for an audience, too. Hopefully they're rarer than the, the yeah. triumphs, but that both are okay and that it's a huge research job to do new work, and it's not always pre-approved, and, and, and sometimes mm -hmm. you're going to go down the wrong road. Um, there was a great model that, that happened around uh, Next to Normal that we all know about, where, we, where it was running at, at, at second stage one season, and then uh, the producer sort of put it back in the shop, and it went down to Arena, and they did amazing new work, and then it was uh, brought back to, to Broadway, where it sort of achieved its greatest success, and I think that happens more and more. Um, we saw humor abuse at, at Manhattan Theatre Club last season with Lorenzo Pizzoni, and, sort, and we brought... Uh, Lorenzo and Erica, his co-creator, down to Philadelphia, and they, they totally opened it up for a proscenium stage, and we're working with a commercial producer, not to be named at the moment, um, who I think might then sort of take it back and, and then take it to that more commercial future. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, uh, uh, that would be like three producers and two theaters uh, giving, giving it momentum. And, and I think you see any and all configurations mm -hmm. these days. But then that is really great for artists. I think that's, you know, the, the uh, as we talk about the economics of why we do these things, the chance to get a production from a city to a city to a city to a city, mm -hmm. right. it takes four times, it just does, to know what the thing is that you're making. And, uh, and we as producers have to be sensitive to where we are on the, on the, in the process. Right, in the development and spectrum. You, right. Yeah, and are right. you the first yeah. step or are you the last step? And sometimes there's a lot of value in being the first step, and sometimes there's a lot of value in being um, the, the final moment where, when it finally achieves what it wants to. Right. How do we train our audiences to feel great about being the first people to see something that's going to get a lot better <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for productions from now? And ha conversely, how do we market 
This is not the world premiere. The fourth production of the, the <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the, I mean the co-production. I mean the the, co the the dirty lie about co-production is it's great to have the world premiere, but the receiving theater gets the better show, yeah, yeah. right? Isn't that always right, right. the case? I think uh, audiences are really interested too in tracking the show after your theater. Mm -hmm. I think they to are. To see how it changes Anna and DeVere, where it yes. goes. Anna DeVere, we developed Anna DeVere Smith's Let Me Down Easy, which just opened uh, a, a few nights ago here in New York. And, um, you know, there's tremendous pride. I was at a preview last night at Long Wharf, and a number of subscribers came up to me, and one person last night said to me, My friend invited me to go see Let Me Down Easy. And I told her, I saw it already. In the <laughs> 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 right, right, right. Now the show has gotten yeah. better and richer and deeper, yeah. Right. Yeah. but uh, there is a tremendous sense yeah. of pride. Yeah. And, 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 and um, yeah, and pride in all our parts. And, and, and Anna has been very, very generous about that, too. So. But as, as directors, all of you, do you find sometimes you can be conflicted about a, a, a project that you that comes to you that you'd like to direct that already has a director attached to it, therefore you have to be more of a producer, or, or is it, does it all, do, do they seem to play out easily? I you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't know how you got, I actually love other directors. I'm, I get sick of myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and one of the reasons, you know, I always wanted to be an artistic director. First of all, freelancing was a debilitating and demoralizing experience. Always looking for work is yeah. really it's like it's really not a happy experience. Like it an wasn't actor, for me. Okay. it's really I, I wasn't. I was like an actor. I, I wasn't made for it, and I found it really hard. And number two, I'm very interested. I was always very interested in other people's work, and uh, it's sort of natural for me to sort of like to have other artists in my home. You know, it's more of a home thing for mm -hmm. me. I like okay. people coming over for dinner, yeah. so I like. Other, so I. Um, I'm thrilled, and I pursue other directors, who, and there are so many other directors whose work I love. Um, and so that, it's, for me, it, it, I, I can't think of an instance in all my years of it ever being a sticky wicket. I had a, my, my sister made such fun of me uh, last week. I was sitting in my office, and I was t t on the phone with a producer for my show in, uh, uh, for Memphis, and telling the producer, I have to have this, whatever the thing was. I, I, I can't, the show's gonna be ruined unless I have it. I hung up, I picked up the phone and told the director, I don't care what, you, you're not getting it. No right. way. Right. <laughs> it's too expensive, you can't have it. And like, the, wearing those two hats of like the director who's always kind of trying to get more for their production and the producer who's always trying to keep it as lean as possible can be hilarious. <laughs> Well, I, I don't direct for the stage anymore. I haven't done that in many years. So I, I'm a producer, and I'm the humble servant of any director that comes. So um, I have no ego about that, and we just want the, the most interesting director for the project. Um, so that gives me kind of a, a different point of view than I had when I was a, an artistic director, where I had a vague sense of competition because I was young and dumb, and I didn't <laughs> know what I could learn. So it, it, it's a slightly different dynamic. Well, it is. I mean, one of the greatest things about our jobs is that we get to sit in the rehearsal room and watch other directors direct, which yeah. when you're freelancing, you never do. Absolutely. We're like, we're like vampires. Yeah. We don't, <laughs> directors don't get together really very often to share work because it's threatening and strange and scheduling-wise impossible. But seven or eight times a year, we get to sit for long periods of time with a play that we are not directing and study it. You know, we're, we're uh, just about to close the Moises Kaufman's Into the Woods, and we've gone through that journey with him. Right. I'm so glad I didn't direct it, and that I have to learn everything what, about that play as if I was taking a class on Sondheim. It's like graduate school. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, 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 the, it's the most joyful part of the job for yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. I learned, I mean, you know, not having gone to graduate school, I get to right, me too. my personal right. example. Right. Of, you know, right. Tina Landau right. came last year to direct right. Paula Vogel's Civil War Christmas, mm -hmm. which is a gorgeous play. 
and Huntington's taking it up this year. Um, and uh, watching, I mean, I learned she's just so much not the kind of director I am, mm -hmm. uh, uh, to her benefit. <laughs> and I learned, she's done a couple of shows for us, and I adore her, and I learned so much from watching her yep. work. I grew. And, and that first question we were asking of what does an artistic director do, if part of it is taste and part of it is communication, mm -hmm. I think part of it, too, is you build a group of artists mm -hmm. who the audience starts to fall in love with. Yes. Right. And it's that continuity of the artist that actually defines the Absolutely mm -hmm. right. And maybe in addition that the, that the, art, the artist falls in love with the audience, too, mm -hmm. that that's really important. That, that, um, that when we go places and work regionally, sometimes you feel fed by the audience and sometimes it's a real nightmare and it doesn't mm -hmm. fit. And uh, I think finding uh, the, the collection of artists who are going to love being in your home city mm -hmm. and love working there and love the conversations they get to have with the people that you've assembled um, that's the perfect match because there is sometimes just a, a non-fit. You feel like the audience is hostile to, to you. Um, uh, you can have a really unpleasant experience, even if the reviews are good. And it, you know, it, places where I've not wanted to go back uh, have generally been because I didn't feel like I fit with the audience. And places where I'm dying to go back are places as a freelancer that I felt um, that those conversations were feeding me as an artist, mm -hmm. listening to that audience listen every night. Um, and that's really idiosyncratic and like dating. I mean, that's who knows. Do you, do you find that part of your role is to is to reach out into the community that, that you're in beyond the theater and sort of help position you and the institution in the community? And if so, and how, 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 do, how would you do that? A big regional theater in a small community is a leading part of citizenship in the region is, is absolutely key. And, um, and we can do good by doing well, and we can also do good by you know, we raise a lot of money for other causes. We um, we go out and the other night we did a free night of theater for uh, civic employees and uh, 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 social service workers. Uh, opened up the entire house. We um, we uh, get out and support other theater companies. We um, we do a lot of parades. You know, that there's for me that that um, I learned this from being in Chicago that you have to be in the fabric of the place where you are, and that 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 political and social work explains the value of what you do in addition to things we always jump to like we education work we change we, we change the cultural lives of the people that come there's an opportunity in these bigger places to actually say we're changing the city we're, we're making this a better place to live in meaningful and, and material ways and that to me is really important and we built a new theater just to be on the most public kind of nexus where everything happens mm. in Philadelphia so we can really add to the conversation going on. And being a citizen, a, a good cultural citizen, is, is essential. Again, it's an everyday occupation mm -hmm. that you exercise and make manifest through your education programs, even your interaction through businesses, uh, with your audiences at all levels, um, with uh, putting your, your productions out there in as many ways possible on an off-site with the community so it takes a conversational life apart from the, the art on stage. And I think that's what we all do all the time. Uh, to make ourselves an essential part of the fabric of the community for, for lots of reasons, for, for goodness reasons, uh, because we know it's the right thing to do, and for survival reasons, because if you're not integrated into the fabric of the community, you can maybe not be there. Yeah. Why and should you be there? Have any of you done, done specific pieces that have direct references to what is going on, the issues that are specific to the community? Yeah, we always search for, we search for that stuff. I actually... We've been in long conversations with um, a wonderful playwright, Che Yu, about writing, because New Haven is a city of great stratification, famously so. 
and um, the different, many of the different elements of New Haven uh, never meet uh, unless somebody's cleaning somebody else's house. Mm -hmm. And um, and each in each and, and many of the strata of New Haven have a lot of opinions about each other, and we've got this big university in the middle. And uh, so it's a really complicated is and very of yeah there is <laughs> uh, University of New Haven it's a great <laughs> great great public college yeah and um, and uh, so New Haven is a very complicated place in a way that a lot of people don't talk about and um, I would I'm in search of a play to really deal with yeah. that and so far haven't been able to make that I used to do that quite a lot of that work in Chicago at, at, at my old theater about face theater does a program with LGBT kids where self-created performances that take on a very large regional uh, life across uh, the Midwest, uh, kids doing perfor performance work around uh, LGBT safety issues and then performed on site at our, at our theater. And I'm trying to take those values and learn how, um, how to take the value of what we did at About Face and turn that into what a big regional theater can do in a, in, in a, it will look really different. We're actually developing a piece with Michael Road um, uh, from Sojourn Theater, that's a, an a three-year investigation of uh, race, geography, and class in Kansas City, uh, which is a we are we're across a, st a state line, two rivers, yeah. and um, and historical dividing lines that date back to the Civil War, um, that have really defined and shaped the history of the place that no one really understands, but it but affect everyone's life in a daily way. And uh, bringing Michael in to work on how to even unpack what a, what a large community performance would look like in the in the cornerstone. Uh, vein is um, at a big regional theater is uh, a lot harder than at a small <laughs> theater in Chicago where we could do whatever we wanted. We do that a little bit with actually theater companies. Um, right before I got there, the Playhouse had done a huge expansion and, and shifted from just having two theaters to having four. Wow. And we really can't fill them all, all the time. <coughs> so um, every year we invite a small um, local theater company in mm -hmm. to be in residence um, and do their work uh, at the Playhouse. And they are almost always working on something that happened that day, mm -hmm. that month, mm -hmm. that year. Mm -hmm. It's very immediate work. Yeah. Um, it's very like quick time lag from yeah. idea to on stage. And it, it, it really helps us feel very connected to the community, young theater artists, and whatever's happening that month. Mm. That's great. Do you also connect with other in, in, institutions in the area, non-performing sure. non institutions, Absolutely. I mean, non-theater non institutions? all kinds of institutions we have interface with. And we do all kinds of events with them. And, you know, uh, the new Athel Fugard play, which we're going to rehearsals for in a couple of weeks, um, has Athel's first Jewish characters. So first over, uh, and it's his first play set in America. And it's his first Jewish characters uh, in a very long, nearly 50 years of writing plays. And we're doing all kinds of work with the uh, Federation and the local Jewish community who are very proud to be in an Atlas Fugard play. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that kind of thing, and uh, times 50. How do you but use the, the, the internet <laughs> at, at, in, your, in your institutional roles? I mean, obviously marketing is, is something that the, the internet has had a great influence on, but how, how creative have you, have you guys been on, on the use of the internet? Oh, you mean in marketing? Or well, just anyway. I mean, we're just hooked on it. I'm, I'm on a 24-7, and, and the institution is. I mean, marketing, it, it, I mean, it's all, it's not just drifted. It's landed squarely mm -hmm. uh, in, in our, our chief sales uh, 
so social net social marketing viral marketing is kind of where it's at as we all know uh, i think it juries out in terms of how totally effective it is and and who's being reached but that's where we we've all gone so marketing wise that's you know that's where it is uh talking to each other there's constant e blast going around to you know large swatches of of communities whether it's other artistic directors or through tcg or whatever and then we're always on the internet with um looking at the trades looking at the variety looking at um, y you know, uh, Broadway stars or, or whatever. And, but also in a, practic in a practical way, uh, set designers send me oh, early sketches. Absolutely. And right. I remember uh, uh, having dinner 15 years ago with a friend who was working for Esther Dyson, you know, the, the, the internet uh, guru. Um, and she was telling me 15 years ago, you know, it's going to change, internet's going to change your life. You're going to be getting scripts through the internet. Right. Set scripts. designers are going to be sending something. I said, no way. It's <laughs> never going to happen. We're paper. We need to, we are paper. you know, <laughs> we have to do again. Production meetings and creative meetings now on Skype. It's incredible. Yeah. You can no. uh, right. get people together in ways uh, to have interaction with Absolutely. all of, m most of our designers come from elsewhere uh, and a lot of our artists come from, from elsewhere. So we can get um, conversations to happen instantly you know I, I was in a meeting the other day and we're like oh gosh this doesn't make any sense someone has to fly to new york and i was like or we can just right hey walt right. can you tell us right. what to do now look at this right. <laughs> right. Right. look at this picture tell us what is that what it is okay great right. it's uh it, it's it deepening the ability of i think theater is far flung to uh work with artists in a network connection uh, very easily. We, we did a musical where, where the lyrics and book and, and, and oh, music yes, was composed, yeah. you know, uh, long distance through the internet. Yeah. Did you do a uh, musical about the internet, didn't you? Pardon? Didn't you do a musical about the internet? Oh, we did Nerds. Yeah. <laughs> about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, but that oh, wasn't it. It was a Drift and McCann with Chris, um, Chris Durang and uh, Peter Melnick composed and wrote the whole book <coughs> and lyrics and music on the internet. Well, I mean, talking to each other. But yeah. do you still send, send subscription brochures through the mails? We just did a thing that, that was very fun. We were trying to broaden our um, email address list because there's still a lot of people who don't want you to have their email address. Mm -hmm. So we ran a contest um, saying if you think your, your life would be a good player musical, Send us oh, the send huh. us your story. That was brilliant. And um, we're gonna and you get your friends to vote for you. And the highest vote getter, Doug Wright, Pulitzer Prize winner, will write uh, a ten minute scene from your life. Wow. And it went Isn't that great. great. That's amazing. Like, That's tens really of thousands of entries, what like huge numbers idea. of votes, and the play was hilarious. <laughs> well, Doug's Doug's really good. Can it be expanded? Yeah. Can it be produced? You think? Uh, <laughs> well, um, sh I think this is actually a, a play, the little ten minute play. Yeah, I mm -hmm. think it could go around the country. It's a really, really good little play. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about Broadway, because um, obviously, when the regional theater movement started, it was. Separate from Broadway, they were all not-for-profits, and I don't think a commercial producer would go any, would have gone anywhere near a, a regional theater, nor would a regional theater have collaborated, I'm saying, with a commercial mm -hmm. producer. But you've all had shows that, that I, as directors or as producers and producing artistic directors have come to Broadway. What happens when a show comes to Broadway to you in your theater in, at home? There's tremendous excitement. Mm -hmm. We're in the middle of it now. Memphis was it. La Jolla Playhouse, and then at Fifth Avenue in Seattle and on Broadway. And the whole La Jolla, San Diego community is so tracking every minute of what's happening in New York on the show. What are the changes? I'm really excited. Well, we <coughs> produced and developed a master class, of course, in conjunction with Bob Whitehead, the legendary Bob Whitehead. Um, and that, I wonder if we'll ever have anything bigger than that. I, I mm -hmm. can't crawl out from under the shadow of master class. It was so huge. 
for us, and it, it still continues to reverberate. It went from our theater, uh, and I, I think, um, oh, uh, Mark Caper picked it up, and then it went to the Kennedy Center, and then Broadway, and then it went to Tony, several Tonys, and then it toured the world, and then it had this huge regional life. So. Um, we continue to benefit from that. And it came to you because you had a relationship with Terrence McNally. With Terrence McNally. We had done a production of Lips Together, Teeth Apart, that Chris directed, that Terrence liked so much. He, saw, he said that Philadelphia and our theater is a great place outside of New York to, to maybe develop something new. And based on the work you did for us, he came to us with this proposal to develop Masterclass. Mm -hmm. So thank you. I think, you should get thank you? I think you should get some royalty for <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, really, <laughs> I'll give you three quarters of one percent of... That would be a lot faster, but They're seductive, though. I mean, they're, 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 you have to keep reminding audiences that the goal isn't to get a show to Broadway. Mm -hmm. Like, you're really, right. if you run a regional theater, yeah. you're trying to do theater there for that audience right. that's exciting there, and, and Broadway is the bonus, it's not the goal. It's a it's, yes. it's a double it's a double edged sword. Uh, it's we all we all love it when our mm -hmm. plays go to New York. Um, but um, Long Wharf, which has had such a long history, I mean the uh, I would love to see the compilation. But I you know I don't know how many how many plays from Long Wharf have gone to New York. But the number is huge, and it, well in, in large part because of its proximity, it's very easy for a producer to come up and see a work at Long Wharf and mm -hmm. go home and in his Upper West Side bedroom at 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night. Um, but, of course, um, but the pressure to have another one that's going right. to go to Broadway right. and the, um, the expectation that can be created if you do something that is no chance it would go to New York um, can create the wrong um, tone for what is really our mission, mm -hmm. which is to produce right. the very best theater that we can right. for yeah. our community right. and, 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 and for the field. And if it has a commercial, we're a non, we're right. non-profit theaters and I think we need to remember that we have to take that very seriously. The reason we're tax exempt and the reason we get foundation support is because we are, pro we are providing a public service. And um, much like the library. Um, the library needs to have Dan Brown books in it mm -hmm. and books by Michael Connolly, but if they don't keep James Joyce and in the library and Marcel Proust in the library, it's not longer a library. It's not worth, it's not, it's not worth, it's, it doesn't deserve to exist. And that's fundamentally our mm -hmm. job, is to be a keeper of great theater and to try to, try to produce new theater and experiment and bring the form forward and to challenge ourselves and our audience. Um, and it's, look, we all know the reality of this business. It's fantastic for an institution when a show comes to New York and gets great reviews. It's revenue, master class, um, you know, Joe Papp, well, that was in New York already, but, but uh, I mean, so many theaters have. We still get money out of I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. Longworth still gets money out of that. Um, From us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, <laughs> we'll talk you, thank you very much. <laughs> I was going to talk to you about nothing. But, um, but in the end, we must, it, 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 we have to come back to first principles. It's essential or else we really lose our way. And, and to keep ticket prices low, and that's another challenge as well. That's the other pact we make with the public and with the government. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. to, I mean, to go back to, to the, the artistic question, that for me, the, the question of getting to New York, it's certainly desirable, and, and I don't have as much experience as my colleagues at the table. But the other question is for our artists, how do we get their careers to have meaningful impact outside of our producing lives? And that to me is an obsession of why I spend a lot of my time 
on the internet and on the phone with people saying, you've got to come see this, you should do this. It's not necessarily about getting that show to New York, but getting that artist to have the chance to have his work or her work seen four or five times to get the chance to make it what he or she wants it to be is a real passion. And that, and that is, I think, an emerging idea that we can build out of these co-productions and out of these partnerships more meaningful lives for the artists that come to us and create what we do. And, that's, and we all know that they have the hardest lives uh, creatively and financially, and, um, and we can and should support them on their paths towards commercial success in New York or 14 regional productions of their play or um, getting their name out, of, getting a young writer's name into uh, the Rolodex of our colleagues. Um, that's what we can, that's the advocacy role we play for artists. That's right. You can also, I think, provide artists with a much more supportive uh, reception than you're going to get in New York. Yeah. I, 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 oh, I'm certainly La Jolla. The audiences are there to enjoy. Yep. You know, and they don't enjoy everything, <laughs> right. but right. it's not a, it's not a hardened, jaded audience. Yep. It's an audience that's, that's like You're going to get a fair hearing of your yeah, play. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what about the critical community? She posits. <laughs> uh, do they do what they need to do to to fulfill that, you know, that tone of of, of there to support artists and to, um, you know, encourage audiences to attend? Or are they part of the picture? Are they standing apart? In in La Jolla, the the critical community is very smart, very active, very involved. But I feel like the audience is unlike New York use a lot more factors in deciding what to see than the reviews. Hmm. Like the reviews don't determine success or failure in the same way that they do in New York. It's the same in New Haven. I mean, um, we have a very sophisticated audience. I mean, our audience subscribes to the Roundabout and Manhattan Theater Club also, as well as coming to Longworth, a lot of them. Um, so um, I would say in all candor that we don't have there is a been there, done that quality to some of my audience. Some of my audience, ah, and because they have been there and they have done that. It is the fourth production of The Price that they've seen. It is the fourth production of Long Day's Journey that they've seen. And the seventh production of Glass Menagerie they've seen. So, um, and sometimes that works in your favor, because I remember uh, I did um, my first year at Long Wharf and my last year at ACT, I did Morning Becomes Electra. It's the same production, went from theater to theater. Now in Seattle, I had, well, Jane Alexander was in it. Brilliant performance, and Mireille Enos. And, um, and in Seattle, um, they, O'Neill has not produced a lot in Seattle. Um, and all they, and neither is the Oristaya. So um, they really liked the play very much, but the context for that play was not, I mean, it wasn't lost on the entire audience, but I think in general, they took it on its own terms. The Long Wharf audience had seen a lot of O'Neill, because Long Wharf has had a long history with O'Neill. Um, many of them had seen the Oristaya or knew the Oristaya better. So it was a very different kind of response. On the one hand, more critical, um, you could call the word more sophisticated, um, and um, I, you know they both have their values. I'm not sure I like one better than the other, but they are different. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. We don't have the exactly the same experience. I don't know what it's like in Philadelphia, but Kansas City and, and La Jolla. Um, I love, more like the I love when an audience though comes because a friend told them to. Yeah, I just think that's word of so mouth healthy. Is it. Without it, you can't a show yeah. can't succeed, yeah. no matter what the reviews are. Yeah. Do reviews uh, affect you, Sarah? Or how big is reviews? How big are reviews in Philadelphia? Um, well, I mean, the good thing is that there there are more media outlets where you can, you know, search for those other opinions. There's there's blogs and internet things, and 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 uh, you can access them very very easily. And 
I mean, you can get talking Broadway or you know, Theater Mania or Curtain Up and all of that, and that's a counterbalance to mm -hmm. the Philadelphia Inquirer, which unfortunately is the only daily in our in our city. We are a one newspaper town, we, and it's currently. Um, <laughs> you say that I like that's a remarkable thing. Uh, well, it, uh, every, I mean, uh, almost every city but New York, one. not anymore. I mean, isn't it? Well, I mean, there's the Trib, for example, yeah. in Chicago. There's the Tribune, and, and then the there's Sun-Times. The, the Sun Times. Okay, we just have the Empire. Yeah. Um, even in Washington, you have the Post and you have the Times. Right. Um, in New Haven, people read the New York Times, yeah. and and we get reviewed in by the city. People read the New York Times. Right. So, I <laughs> mean, uh, local press. I mean, there are some really smart people writing in the local press, and we can get and it has some impact, but not a very not an overall significant one. I don't think. Do, do you find that that your audiences? You think your audiences read the chat rooms? Because I mean, I, I find that that mine that, don't. I don't. Okay. Just the hardcore theater maven. That's, maybe that's too. the theater. Yeah. And, then, and, and, and that's two handfuls. Everybody who works on the show, the first preview in this town, bam, right, right. on. Right. Right. See what everybody I mean, saying. that is a different. Um, that has really changed theater in New York, hasn't it? But okay. also the whole notion of, of who is a critic. I mean, because right. once upon a time when there were a lot more than one newspaper per town, that's where they all were. And then is it television and not so much anymore, radio, you know? It's, it's okay. the, the conversation has really changed since when I first got to New York 20 years ago. I feel like people were talking about how do we wean ourselves from dependence on newspapers. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like the conversation is, as newspaper business is kind of crumbling, right. what are right. we going right. to do once newspapers what, are gone? Right. 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 Exactly. Right. What, what form will they take in the future? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It, it, I think we, because we are artists, we take criticism very seriously and have been you know, helped and hurt by the, the pen of various journalists. The I don't think people in the regular world think about it in the same way. We got. <laughs> I think the best thing we can do is create media stunts. We had in Kansas City, unfortunately, our actors got the flu really badly right after Into the Woods opened, and we had to cancel the performance. And it made um, all three networks um, uh, <laughs> as a swine flu scare. And, oh. and the next day, we tripled our box office, which came, which was the day before the review came out. Um, it got so much exposure. These hilarious, like swine flu scare, you know. <laughs> yeah. At the theater, and then they'd, do, they'd show clips from the show, and people would, uh, and, and it really launched that play in a very successful way. Uh, you know, we, I, I don't think that we as theater producers are yet very smart about how to get the apparatus that people use, which is the television, uh, to um, to pay attention to what we do, and that's. Well, that's the medium of our time yeah. that we've never been in sync with because uh, we simply can't afford it. Yeah. I'm not sure there's another reason And we other can't than get that. the editorial coverage unless we have a swine right. flu Right, they don't play with yeah. us. Yeah, exactly. So, yes. are, are there any instances of plays that you have wanted to do in your theaters but felt that your audiences would just be totally resistant to? We did my first or my second season. Um, we did very early in Noah Heidel's career. We did a Noah, he Noah Heidel mm -hmm. play, and I love Noah Heidel's work. And um, we did a play called Brag and Bone of Noah's early play of his. And I loved it. And Tina Lando came in and did a beautiful production. And it seemed to me the sweetest, tenderest play. <laughs> I thought everyone would just love it. They, you know, the audience, well, there was a percentage, particularly the younger audience, which really loved it. But the older audience, in general, with some exceptions, hated it. Did terrible, did terrible. Single tickets were terrible. And they, were, they still talk about it as one of the most horrible, worst <laughs> things they'd ever seen. And, um, uh, uh, and I, it was, it baffled me. I mean, I understand now in retrospect why everybody hated it so much, 
But um, it took, it really uh, took me by surprise. I find audiences have problems with, when they tonally don't get what something is supposed to be or it's nonlinear. They don't have much patience. Right. If they can't figure out the form and the rules within like 10 or 15 minutes, you have lost them completely and there's nothing but ire. And if they don't, yeah, or, and I agree. And if they don't want to go there, I mean, I think Noah sets up the rules of his plays very clearly. But you just may not want to go, go that, anyway. to that <laughs> Noah Heidel land. And, you know, um, it's a very special place. I love being there. Um, boy, you know. We just added a, a program that I love, which is, it's called The Edge. And it's four plays that not everyone's going to love and that are going to make some people really irate. Hmm. And all those plays that are sort of too scary to do, just put them on the edge, and the audience is kind of self-selecting for yeah, wanting true. to have an edgy experience. Mm -hmm. hmm. And it kind of advertises itself as that's what it's going to be. That's, that's and over time, that audience is starting to really find it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to do it. I assume you are all actually hired by the boards of directors of your institutions. Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, What's the relationship between an artistic director and, and the board? I mean, I, I'm assuming that any opinion that an audience gives you, at least somebody on the board will, will voice his, her sure. opinion one way or the other. But um, it, is it a collaborative experience? Is it, is it a problematic experience with the board? Especially in these economic times, I think, is part of it. I've been re run two, two theaters and had really, have a really charmed relationship with my board now and a really wonderful relationship with the board at About Face. So it's, I hear horror stories, and I try to imagine how it would come to the difficult moments that people get into. But so far, it's, it's it, to me that if we take seriously the idea of community ownership and have our boards set up to tell us what the community, uh, how successful we're being at engaging not just constituents who have money, but they have constituents, the people who are going to be involved in a civic board in a mid-sized regional theater, um, are are doing so out of, out of some sense of civic engagement, wanting the city to be better, and can give me a lot of information about what, what, what plays and what doesn't, not just artistically, but what um, style-wise. I get a lot of coaching from the chairman of my board about who, I, who and how I should be presenting, um, and, and, uh, and that's a really dynamic and, and very fruitful uh, relationship. Um, I'm also in the honeymoon stage, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> right now it's a lot of love. <laughs> I'm in my honeymoon still, too. Um, but. I feel like the board is the memory of the theater. Mm -hmm. yeah. they, they've been there, lots of them, for 25, 30 years. They remember all the phases of it. And they're as passionate as I am about that theater and what mm. it can be and what it's for. So I, I feel like they're crucial. Yeah, I, I um, have felt completely supported artistically, completely supported uh, um, at Long Wharf and in Seattle before then. Um, and uh, if a show doesn't work, I kind of know it before they do, <laughs> you know. And I'm believe no no recriminate no recriminatory look that anybody could give me is any worse than how I feel when I look in the mirror in the morning. Um, so um, uh, I feel you know like what you were just saying, Chris. In a way, they're you know they're sort of uh, they're representative of the it's the, they're the Greek chorus. The, mm -hmm. You know, some of them are young, but they're the village elders as it were. And um, they reflect parts of the community that I could, you know, that I'm not. I'm an artist in the community. They're bankers and lawyers and doctors and psychotherapists in the community, you know, and they hear and experience the community in a way that I, I, I don't. Um, and I find that very, very useful. And um, uh, new generations of artistic directors are a little bit more um, 
used to working with mm -hmm. boards of trustees mm -hmm. as a collaborator than perhaps other generations were. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think we understand the gig. Yeah, <laughs> it's a more holistic view than maybe the artistic directors of the '70s, which mm -hmm. was about the just the work, it seems, and it being in the room. And I think now we are all holistic leaders of our institutions, and we are we care passionately about uh, the education programs and, and our place in the community and other holistic preoccupations that, that maybe was not true about artistic directors 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that is a. A perfect moment for us to conclude this conversation. Um, I, I'm very happy that we've done this. I think that the regional theater movement is in very fine hands, at least four sets of extremely fine hands, and I thank you all for being here today and having this conversation. Thanks for joining us. These programs are brought, brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theater Wing, I'm Ted Chapin, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theater. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theatre, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theatre television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. Our annual theater company grants support New York not-for-profits and since they began have distributed nearly $3 million. We are also pleased to be the home of the Jonathan Larson grants, which support emerging composers and lyricists. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the Wing, and thanks for watching.